The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. We have been working through this little book of Jude, the second to last book in the Bible. And today, we finish the book, our sixth sermon from the book of Jude. And what a spectacular ending it is. Would you just focus with me for just a second? Let's meditate on the wonder of these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our great Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. These are beautiful, beautiful verses. And they deserve us to pause and praise God for them. You know, sometimes we sing, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Do you know why that's true? Because of Jude 24 and 25. God will complete the work he's begun in you. God will continue the work that he's been growing in you. And God, and here's the title of today's sermon, God will get you home. And these verses are beautiful. So if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, pause with me. Just forget the formality of what we're doing and just pause and bask in the fact of all the good things God has been doing in you. All the dangers and toils and snares he's brought you through. And the fact that he's going to finish what he started. There are moments when we feel like that's not going to happen. John Piper, who is now a well-known pastor, in 1984 wrote this in his journal. He wrote, am I under attack by Satan to abandon my pastorate at Bethlehem Baptist Church? Is this the stirring of God to move me to another ministry? The church is looking for a vision for the future and I do not have it. The one vision the staff zeroed in on was a building project, and it is so unattractive to me today that I do not see how I could provide the leadership and inspiration for it. Does this mean that my time at BBC is over? Does it mean there's a radical alternative unforeseen? Does it mean that I'm just in the pits? Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I am so discouraged. I am so blank. I feel like there are opponents on every hand, even when I know that most of my people are for me. Oh, Father, I am blind. Perhaps this is not my future. Perhaps I shall not even live out the year, and you are sparing the church the added burden of a future I could not complete. He wrote that in 1984. When he wrote that, he had only been the pastor there for six years. Fast forward to today, he has been a believer for 70 years. He finished over 30 years at Bethlehem Baptist Church. He's been married to his wife, Noelle, for 54 years. He's been a father for 50 years. But he continued and he wrote this. If my faith in Jesus 
and my eagerness to know him and his word and my thrill at preaching and my love for the church and my fitness for ministry and my fitness for heaven and my sexual continence and my spiritual marriage commitment to my wife depended decisively on me, I would have ceased to be a Christian long ago. I would have ceased to care about the word of God or the thrill of exposition. I would have given up on the church. I would be unfit for ministry or heaven. I would have given myself to sexual indulgence and I would cease to be married. Have you ever heard the phrase, you'll be surprised at who gets into heaven. Some people will get in that you didn't think were going to get in. Some people won't be there that you thought were going to be there. None of that is actually right. Do you know the one shock that we'll have when we get to heaven is to find ourselves there. It is to be amazed that God would have presented us, us, blameless before the presence of his glory. So let Jude give you wings to soar in gratitude today. The book begins in Jude 1 verse 1, saying that we are kept for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends in verse 24 saying, he is able to keep us from stumbling. So I am so grateful, so grateful to be able to preach the end of Jude this morning. The title is God Will Get You Home. And this passage will remind us with hindsight of the many things he's already led us through over decades. But brothers and sisters, in 10,000 years, we'll know even more clearly what he has done to get us home. So look with me this morning. And if you have a bulletin, very simple points today. Number one and number two. And there's an A and B underneath number one. Very, very simple. Only two verses here. Verses 24 and 25. And the first point is praise God. That's the point. It's a doxology. Doxologies are a focus on God and his glory. Verse 24 is what God does. Verse 25 is who God is, which is why he does what he does. Jude ends with the glorious nature of God. Like Psalm 48 verse 1 that says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So Jude tells us why God is greatly to be praised. So let's break down the two things God does in verse 24. So this is letter A underneath number one. God keeps Christians from eternally stumbling. Look in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. If you've been here for any of the six weeks we've gone over Jude, you know why it's so striking that that letter ends so hopeful and positive. Most of the letter, be honest, if it's been new to you, was pretty tough. <laughs> it's a tough pill to swallow. It's a lot of strong rebuke against false teaching. It's a lot of open discussion about fake Christians. It's hard to read, but then it ends so hopeful. Why? Because at the end of the day, our focus of our lens should never be on us, but should always be on God. And here he says, God is able to keep us from stumbling. The Greek word, apostatos means to eternally fall away. The King James says to keep you from falling, and that's a helpful image. It doesn't mean that you never sin. It doesn't mean that you never fail. It means you can't eternally fail if you are truly a child of God. And you cannot a truly eternally fail if you're a child of God because of God's great grip. Jesus said this in John 10, in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The reason God will keep us from eternally falling is because of his good grip. At the end of the day, he holds us fast. God's good grip doesn't mean that we don't have any participation in obedience. We just read a couple verses before in Jude, in verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. And we do that by gathering together to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And we do that by praying in the spirit. And we do that by waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even those good routines are because God's grace is working in us. God's grace at work in us is the reason that we will not eternally stumble. Now, some people in America wrongly think of salvation as like a Willy Wonka golden ticket. (laughs) I have my afterlife ticket, and so now I can avoid the whole journey. But actually, salvation is so much better than that. Salvation is not just a final destination. Salvation is the transformation that culminates in the destination. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will perform it. Philippians 2.12-13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. So you've been sold an inferior lie if you think it's only a destination or an afterlife ticket. God loves us so much, not only does he take us where we need to go, he transforms us on the journey. He is able to keep us from stumbling because he is at work in us. But perhaps this morning you feel like, but, but Pastor Josh, I've sinned too grievously. I mean, I've, I've committed a really bad sin. Even as a believer, I've committed an unpardonable sin. I've done something so awful. But can I tell you about Peter? Can I tell you about Paul? Can I tell you about Abraham? Can I tell you about David? See, that's why 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love what chapter 2 says. I have written these things to you that you may not sin. And here's one of the funniest phrases of the Bible. But if anyone does sin, (laughs) we're all like, that's me. (laughs) If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has made propitiation for our sins. See, there's an apocryphal but illustrative story told about Martin Luther's life. The story goes that one day the devil approached Martin Luther and tried to use the fact that every person is a failure. And he presented Martin Luther with a long list of sins of which Martin Luther was guilty. When Satan finished, Luther said to him, Think a little harder, you may have forgotten some. (laughs) At this point, the devil added more sins to the list. And at the conclusion of the exchange, Martin Luther said, you're right. But now pen on top of that list, the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. See, there is nothing that can be said about us that Christ has not already washed us clean of. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Some sincere believers that I meet with, though, are still struggling at this point. And they feel like, Josh, I, I appreciate that promise, but, but I still struggle with sin now. There are things that I fail that I wouldn't want other people to find out about. How do I make sense of that? But here it's important to remember that Christ has saved us from sin's penalty. And he will one day save us ultimately from sin's very presence. And today, he is still saving us from sin's power. 
Romans 6, 7, and 8 make that clear. So know that today you will still sin, but you will not fall away because you will turn from sin progressively, incrementally, imperfectly, but savingly because at the end of the day, it is what Christ did on Calvary that gets you home. You see, Christian, if it came down to our own ability, you and I would certainly fail. We would fail because of our sinful desires. We would fail because of our failure to discern truth from error. We would fail because of our overestimation of our ability to stand. We would fail because of our speech, our actions, our desires, and our thoughts. If it came down to us, we would fail because we're still sinners. But it doesn't come down to us. It comes down to Jesus. And Jesus has risen and he lives. And he right now intercedes at the right hand of the throne of grace. So letter A, he will keep us from stumbling. But now letter B in verse 24, not only to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, but to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The word present is a formal word, meaning to present before a dignitary, but we can some ways understand the concept because we sometimes are presented before someone for evaluation. Picture a date. You want to present your best version of yourself. Picture a client and you're trying to give your best presentation to close the sale. Or perhaps you're standing before a school acceptance board and you want to present your best abilities. Notice what we're to be presented in front of. Do you see that in the verse? We're presented in front of his glory. Do you know much about people who are presented in front of the glory of God in the Bible? Imagine Isaiah in front of the thrice holy God. What does he do? He falls on his face. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Imagine the angels in God's presence covering their own faces. Who can be presented in front of his glory? The text says we'll be presented in front of his glory with great joy. How could we have great joy in front of the perfectly holy God who sees through us better than any date or job interviewer or school board? Because the text says we'll be presented blameless. Did you know, Christian, that one day you will stand before God and you will not be embarrassed and you will not be ashamed and you will not cower in disappointment, you will stand because someone stood in your place. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ sacrificed and gave himself for his church so that he might present her holy and without blemish. See, the reason we can stand blameless is because the only innocently blameless person took all our blame. And then died on the cross saying it is finished and exchanged his robe of righteousness for our robe of unrighteousness. The great exchange is why we can stand without trembling. I read this week about a small boy who was coming home from school overly late every day. And so his parents told him, you need to come home on time. This is an obedience issue. And he kept disobeying and kept hum- coming home late. And so one afternoon, they had had it. This is it. You need to come home on time. You can. You need to do it. But he came even later than he ever had before. 
He showed up at the door and his mother didn't even say a word. They brought him to the dinner table that evening. They were already ready to go. And when he sat down, he could tell they were all disappointed because everybody had a plate of food, but on his plate, he only had a slice of bread. As they were getting ready to eat, no one spoke to him. There was just awkward silence. And then his father handed him his full plate of food and took his one piece of bread plate of food and then they ate dinner the boy later said when he grew up all my life I've known what God is like by what my father did that night see this passage is telling us we can be presented blameless because someone without blame took our blame and exchanged it this is what Jesus Christ did do you know the part of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament God has Abraham lead Isaac up God deserves the firstborn and surely Abraham and Isaac both are sinners. And so Abraham in a test of faith is to go up to the mountain and there he's to be willing to offer his son Isaac to the Lord. But before he does, God says stop and in his place he provides a ram. But that is simply to picture the one time that God won't say stop and that's when his son willingly takes our punishment. Christian, you'll be presented blameless. Because Jesus suffered your sin. Do you know what that means for you now? Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Psalm 103, 9 through 12. God's anger will not last. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As we sang earlier, Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians 15.54, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Perhaps this morning you're still thinking, I, I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that. I still struggle. I don't know if I'm good enough. I just can't believe that Christ would remove all my sin as far as the east is from the west and that God would not ever count them against me. Maybe you've heard of the evangelist D.L. Moody. He was once a famous evangelist in the area of Chicago. And when he was living, this is a true story, a young man who was in seminary actually came to hear him preach. After the sermon, the man who was training in seminary walked up to D.L. Moody, and he was just amazed to see D.L. Moody in person. He was such a giant spiritually, couldn't wait to see him. Classic D.L. Moody looked him right in the eye and said, are you a Christian? <laughs> and the man answered this. He said, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. Moody followed it up by asking him this, are you a church member? And he said, well, I'm sure I'm that. <laughs> he asked him again, but are you a Christian? And he said, well, I'm not sure. And so Moody opened his Bible to John 5, 24, handed his Bible to the man and asked him to read it. And here's what John 5, 24 says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Moody asked the seminary student, do you believe that? He said, yes. Do you accept it? He said, yes. Moody said to him, then you're a Christian. 
But then the man said, but I I don't think I am. Sometimes I think I am and sometimes I think I'm not. So Moody told him, read it again. The man read it again. Moody said, do you believe that? He said, yes. He said, then you're a Christian. But the seminary student a third time said, but I'm still not sure. Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes I think I'm not. At this point, Moody flashed some anger on his face and said to the seminary student, do you understand whom you are doubting? And when he read it the third time, he realized he had been doubting God and his word himself. You see, some of us, for various reasons, as a defense mechanism, are so afraid to be disappointed, hurt, or failed, that we prepare ourselves for something not to be true. Listen, don't do that to God. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the throne of his glory, he will do so with great joy. You must believe the person who's believable. And the reason he's believable is because Hebrews 12, 2, we have an author and finisher of our faith, Jesus. That picture is such a good one that it made me think of a true story that happened in 2016. The World Triathlon Series had its grand final in Mexico in 2016, and Great Britain's Johnny Brownlee was leading in the final length of the triathlon. It was, a, the, it, it was the running part. He was far ahead in the final kilometer, and then Johnny Brownlee's legs gave out, and he collapsed. He couldn't make it any farther. Not far behind him was his brother Alistair. And when his brother Alistair saw his brother had fallen on the ground, he decided, though he could have won the race for himself, that he would go back and pick up his collapsed brother. And if you want to look this up on YouTube later, my favorite part is when he slings his brother over his shoulder and helps him walk the final few hundred yards. And as they near the end, his brother can't make it anymore. And so he pushes him over the finish line. See, there are moments where Jesus just carries you. And in the end, he's the one who pushes you over the finish line. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But he does what he does because he is who he is. And so now number two on your handout. Praise God through our Lord and Savior Jesus forever. Why is he able to keep you from stumbling? Why is he able to present you blameless? Because of who he is. And so look in verse 25. He is the only God. I love that clarity in the Bible. Everyone and everything else is a false pretender. There is only one. Recently I preached Elijah at a chapel in school. And it's just so interesting that there are 830 prophets there from Baal and Asherah, and they're there to bring down Elijah. And everybody thinks, man, they have the advantage. There's 830 of them. But really the math is one versus zero. There's nobody else there. There's the living and true God, and then there's nobody. So verse 25, there's only one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the next phrase tells us something beautiful, that he is the only God, but he's also our Savior. We rightly think of Jesus as our Savior, but the Bible also calls God the Father our Savior in Luke 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 2, and 4, Titus 1, 2, 3, and 4 as well. This passage tells us that God is our Savior, but notice he's always our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
God saves through his son Jesus and God receives glory through his son Jesus. As we talk about it here, we delight and display and declare Jesus because that is how God is glorified. But then our next word in English bothers me because it doesn't really fit what the Greek is saying and that's the word be, B-E in English. That's very misleading in English because it makes it sound like Judah's praying that this would be true. Oh Lord, I wish it would be true that you would receive glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. But that's not actually what the word is. A good translation would be belong. These are not things we wish God has. These are things God has. God possesses these. These are not a prayer wish. They're a declaration. God has glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Glory and majesty show us that God is regal. Dominion and authority show us that God rules. Glory is God's unique splendor, his worthiness of worship. Majesty is his greatness. Dominion is his might. Authority is his right to rule. God is these things. When is God these things? Always. Before all time, now, and forever. The Greek is actually more symmetrical than that. It's before all time, now, and for all time. Now, there's only one word in this text that has to do with us. Just one. We don't keep ourselves from stumbling. We don't present ourselves blameless. We don't have glory, dominion, authority, and majesty, nor can we ask God to have it. He already has it. There's just one word for you and I. Do you know what it is? Amen. That's the only word. And in eternity, did you know? That's it. That's all we contribute to. Revelation 5 says this. I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. Verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And then what do we say? Amen. The word amen means yes, indeed, that's true. And see, that's what worship is. Worship isn't something we contribute. Worship isn't something we bring. Worship isn't something we offer. Worship is simply acknowledging who is actually great. We acknowledge God is great. When we say amen. Many books in the Bible end this way. I love Romans 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The book ends. Amen. So let me give you some applications from a passage like this one. Here's the first one. This passage says in verse 25 that the only God is our Savior. And that's the first question I need to ask you. Is he your Savior? Because none of these promises are true for you unless Christ is your Savior. Unless Jesus is your Savior, you will fall eternally. Without Jesus as your Savior, you will not be presented blameless. Your blame will be seen and it will be judged unless it is covered by the blood. So I don't want you to hear a passage this wonderful without telling you how to be included in it. And the way you're included in it is you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus. I'll be direct with you. In the book of Jude, 
the sins that the false teachers and the fake Christians won't turn from are their selfish desires. Remember, it says they pursue ungodly passions. Their sexual immorality, remember five, six, and seven. And also their scoffing of the truth. Those are very common sins in culture right now. To be a Christian is to turn from those sins and to trust Christ alone. If you want to say amen, then say yes to Christ as Lord. This is what it means to be able to enjoy these promises. Not false security, but eternal security through Christ and Christ alone. But for those of you who know Christ, three C words to end on. Three C words to end on. Because verse 24 and 25 are true, how should you live this week? Here's the first C word. You should live confidently. Christian, look in verse 24 again. It begins now to him who is able. Shouldn't we live confidently because God is able? Have you ever sung the song, he is able to deliver thee? Or don't you know Ephesians 3? He is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think. Christian, why would we waver and be concerned when we have a God who is able? So live confidently. Isn't it funny that the book begins by saying we need to contend for the faith, we need to persevere in the faith, but it ends by saying, but God will get it done. (laughs) Because the reality is God works through us, but a lot of times, frankly, God works despite us. And in the end, God works to fulfill what God has promised. So live confidently, Christian. God will get you home. Number two, the second C word. Live cheerfully. You see where I got that from? Verse 24, he'll present you before his glory with what? Great joy. So Christian, live cheerfully. This is a very unusual Greek word for joy. It's not the normal one used. This word, says means extreme joy or extreme gladness. Think of how often the Bible says that. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Remember the man who sold all he had to buy the treasure that was hidden. He said he sold it with great joy. So Christian, you should be able to say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So Christian, be of good cheer because God will get you home. And the third and final C word, we should live cheerfully, we should live Confidently, but finally, we should live contentedly because of who God always is. In verse 25, God always is glorious, majestic, full of dominion and authority. So that means whatever you lose, you've gained infinitely more. So, Christian, live contentedly. God will get you home. A doxology is a way we recognize the greatness of God and respond with a simple amen. A doxology is the language of the true believer's heart, but this doxology reminded me of one of my favorite songs, and it, it is so similar to the promises in Jude 24 to 25. Maybe you'll recognize it as I read the lyrics to it. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter in the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of your throne, 
Your saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is your arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received its frame, from everlasting you are God, to endless years the same. So we conclude as we began. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his glory with great joy to the only God, our great Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you will get us home. We look over the years, and as we age, it probably becomes clearer, but we'll have 10,000 years and more for it to be even clearer. The many dangers, toils, and snares you have brought us through. Lord, help us to be humbled by the fact that anything good that's happening in our life is surely because it depends on you. Many good things are happening that you deserve praise for today. And so may we, even over lunch and over our afternoon, pause and thank you with an amen. We have many, many good things that you've begun. But Lord, the best news is that the best is yet to come. Because the good work that you've started, you will finish at an either greater level. Because you will call us to be with yourself. So, Lord, help the Christian in this room who feels discouraged about their own failure to know that's not how it ends. About their own sin to feel ashamed, to feel unworthy. Maybe they felt even embarrassed to come into church today, but they won't be embarrassed before your throne because there they'll be blameless. It is a staggering thought that we would stand before you not ashamed. Lord, when our first forefathers Adam and Eve sinned they stitched clothes and they hid in bushes but one day we will stand totally unhidden and we'll stand confidently not because of us but because of your son Jesus thank you Lord that he has borne our shame and our sin and our guilt and he has conquered it thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord but Lord perhaps someone here in this morning has wrongly estimated that they can make it on their own effort, bring them to crushing repentance so that they turn from that sort of self-reliance and they move to faith and trust in Jesus so that they can be saved. And as the the man we read about, help them to simply trust you through your word. Whoever believes has passed from death to life and there is no condemnation. Thank you, Lord that you will get us home. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.